no striving in my presence. There is no striving in my presence. Sweet, sweet fellowship. There is no striving in my presence. There is no striving in my presence. Just sweet, sweet fellowship. Come unto me. Come unto me. For I am your peace. Come unto me. Come unto me. For I am your peace. Turn to Amos chapter 3. One of those little books toward the end of the Old Testament. It's right before Obadiah. And Obadiah is right before Jonah. And Amos is right after Joel. And Joel is right after Hosea. So when you find any of those books, you know you're nearby. Now the reason I do that is because, um, you know, some people aren't as familiar with the books of the Bible. And, you know, some people, they have those little tabby things on their Bible to make it easier to, to find. And that's okay. But, <laughs> that kind of goes along with what I was saying this morning. About knowing the Word. When I was a kid growing up in church, quite frankly, um, we had a greater emphasis on the Word than other churches. Other denominations. I grew up Southern Baptist. And there's one thing I'll tell you, unless things have changed, the Southern Baptists put an emphasis on at least knowing where the books of the Bible are. And when I was a kid, I think it was fourth grade, they wanted you to know the books of the Bible. And so you had to memorize, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Revelation. And you would stand up in class and recite the books of the Bible. Well, if you got them right, they gave you a Bible. In fact, I still have that Bible. And I think it's back there in my office. So, I, I mean, it's worn, okay? But, that was something that was very important. Um, in Amos chapter 3, look at verse 7. Surely the Lord will do nothing, but He revealeth His secret unto His servants, the prophets. Now, we're not going to go into a whole lot of detail about the setting of Amos and so, uh, you know, what was happening when he prophesied this, but as that applies to us today, some people have talked about that in the latter days, you know, there's going to be an increase in the prophetic ministry. Well, in some cases, that seems to mean there's going to be an increase in prophetic weirdness. Because there are just a lot of weird people out there on the prophetic bandwagon saying a lot of things that, you know, just aren't right and strange. That is not what God 
um, that's not how God moves on people. Now, I know some strange things happened. People did some strange things in the Old New Testament. But this whole thing about um, God revealing his secrets, think of it like this, God revealing his heart. Nobody knows the heart of God unless he reveals it. You understand what I mean? And so God reveals his heart to people in a prophetic manner, and then those folks turn around and declare what God has said. In this day and age, where uh, prophecy, or no, no, where deception is increasing and false prophecy is increasing, you know, if you don't know the word, you are setting yourself up for this deception. Now, I mean, it, it's serious. And I've heard prophecies before that make me sit back and think, Man, I don't know. I've been around, you know, the whole, you know, prophetic thing, um, you know, over 40 years. So I've heard the good, and I've heard the not so good. Well, what I was sharing this morning, uh, you know, I told you that I'd been praying. Well, I wasn't, wasn't praying. I was talking just to myself, just thinking, you know, how the apostles do it? You know, Jesus is crucified. He's raised from the dead. Uh, tarry ye in Jerusalem, day of Pentecost, filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues, all that. and that day, thousands get born again. Revival breaks out that day. And uh, it just continued, the whole book of Acts. So it doesn't seem fair, like I shared this morning, you know, if they could have it that quickly, then why can't we? There has to be a reason. And that, that's the kind of thing I was mulling about in my mind. And the Lord began to speak to me. And He began to share with me what I shared with you this morning. How that, in Jewish culture, the Jewish children, more so the boys than the girls, because more of the boys went to school than the girls, but girls did go. But beginning at age three, the, the word, the Torah, it was being spoken to them by a rabbi. Now the parents were supposed to be already doing it before age three, but at age three they would, you know, take the little baby to the rabbi, and this is what the rabbi would do and be speaking. And they all got um, all the the three year olds got a slate that was, you know, the original version of a an iPod or a you know Chromebook or whatever, and it's what they would use when they would memorize scripture, they'd write it down and they learned to read and write and all this other. But when they were in school, like starting at age five, they'd be in school five, six hours a day, five days a week, and from age five up until age ten, the only textbook was the Bible. Now, it started out just the Torah. And as time went on, it would be the Torah, it would be the Psalms, it would be the prophets. You know, it all depend on how many years had passed and how much more word God had given. Well, by the time Jesus came along, what we call the Old Testament was complete. And the New Testament was being was in the process of, of um, being lived out and later on it was declared to be written. Well, those kids, you know, by the age of 12, they were, they were expected to have, essentially, the first five books of the Old Testament memorized. Now, that is unbelievable. But that's the way it was. Well, see, when you start out at age three, and you're just constantly, constantly, constantly giving the Word, giving the Word, giving the Word, 
to the little, uh, little babies. As they grow up, that's how they learn to talk. When they grow up, that's what they're speaking. When they grow up, this is being so embedded in them. And this is one of the reasons why it's so critical uh, to do this when they're young. Because when, when children are young, they're like an empty slate in their mind. And so the, the sooner that you can fill it with the Word of God, that becomes a foundation in their life forever. Train up a child the way it should go. When they're old, they won't depart from it. Doesn't mean they'll always live by it, but they won't depart from it. They'll know. But the thing is, for the Jewish people, when those kids grew up, yeah, we know there was sin. We know there was adultery. We know. But the thing is, they still did not depart from the law. In the Old Testament, you know, you had these people, they had it memorized. And yet they would worship these pagan gods and the idols, and so, but they had it memorized. They knew. They knew it. And God, it was like He was saying, I know you, I know, you know better. <laughs> because you have it memorized. I know you know better. That's one of the reasons sometimes the judgment was so harsh, because they knew better, and they weren't even born again. So, the Word was in them, and that's why when Jesus came along, you know, the Word was in Him as well. The Word was in Peter, and John, and Matthew, and James, and all the rest of them. The Word was in the rabbis, the Word was in the Pharisees, the Word was in the priests. And so, that's why these times when Jesus would say something like, you know, well, what does it say in your law? Well, they knew what it said. They didn't have to, you know, go run for something, you know, try to dig out a concordance or software program to look it up. No, they knew what it said. When Jesus would say things like, you know, have you not read? Well, he knew they had read. And when he was teaching, like the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard it said such and such and such and such. But I say unto you, well, when he was teaching that, all these people, none of them would have said, wait a minute. He just told us, you've heard it said, I never heard that. No, they all had heard this. All of them had heard this. So it's, it, it's, it was Jesus speaking to them out of what they knew and out of what he knew because it was already in them. Year after year after year after year, it was in them. It was in them. And as the Lord was ministering to me about all of this, and I shared some of the um, patterns and the methods of teaching and all that. And we read scriptures about how that God just continually gave this instruction, teach your children, teach your children, teach your children, and they are to teach their children and so on and so forth. The word is to be in them. When you lie down, when you get up, when you walk, when you sit, when you do this, when you do that, the word, the word, the word. So the parents had this massive responsibility, but the thing is, by the time the parents had children of their own, all the word had been put in them. So it wasn't a real super challenge for them to pass this on to the kids. Now, this was the foundation that the apostles carried with them into their ministry. So the moment that they got bored again, they were remember when they were in the upper room, after Jesus' resurrection, before the day of Pentecost, and He appeared unto them. And there's another place where it talks about how he breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost. Okay, that was not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That was them being born again. Because in, in Titus, I think it is, it talks about how that 
when I'm paraphrasing, we put our faith in Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost moves upon us in, the, in that area of regeneration. And we're born again. So they were born again prior to the day of Pentecost. Then on the day of Pentecost, they get filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, the moment they got born again, they had the life of God in them. And the life of God in them was compatible with all those decades of the Word of God having been stored in their mind. It was in their soul. It was there. It was packed in there. They knew it. Well, then the moment they get born again, now, that life in their spirit was able to connect with all that Word that had been stored up on the inside. And then the Holy Spirit, when they get baptized with the Holy Spirit, Jesus told them, when the Holy Spirit comes, He is going to teach you all things, remind you of what I said. He's going to lead you, guide you into all truth, so on and so forth. Okay, that's what was happening. All the teaching, all the guiding, all of that the Holy Spirit was doing came from that foundation of the Word of God. And so here you have that life of God in them and the Word of God that was stored up in their minds, in their soul. Now there's a compatibility and the Holy Spirit is revealing the connection of all of this. And this is why they were able uh, to say something like, as Isaiah said, such and such and such, and they would begin to quote from Isaiah. When they were teaching the Jews, the Jews knew. The Jews could have joined in in repeating the passage. And then they would go, uh, take it the next step and say, this is what he was talking about. And they would explain how Jesus fit into all of that, and the born-again life, and so on and so forth. And this is why they had that success instantly. Because there was a foundation of the Word of God in them that supersedes anything any of us in this room or listening have. None of us have this. I'm not saying this to be critical. I'm just saying that over the years, let me say it another way. Western society does not understand this concept I'm sharing. Flat out doesn't. And the churches, Western society churches, do not understand that type of what you would call Christian or spiritual education. We'll send our, our kids to Christian school. I've, I've never heard of a Christian school that emphasizes the word the way that we see it, and the way I, I shared it with you this morning, the way that they did it for the Jewish children. I don't know of any Christian school that does that. I don't know of any church that does it that way. Now, I'm not saying they don't exist anywhere. I mean, this is a big planet. I've never heard of it. Here's the thing. If the apostles needed that foundation back then, then guys, we need that foundation now. And some people might say, well, yeah, but you know, it's just too late. Well, now, hold on. It's not too late. It doesn't matter your age. It's not too late. Now, for you parents that are here or watching or listening to this, if you've got young kids, man, I'm telling you what. I mean, you do what you do, but... If you're not already feeding the Word of God into your kids 24-7, you need to be doing this. Train up a child in the way that child should go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. And even though the scribes, Pharisees, and all these others, you know, they, were, they added, added their own traditions, the fact remains, they knew the Word. They could quote it. They knew it. And sometimes, we as parents... 
You know, we would sit back and think, oh, just where did I go wrong? I raised my kids better than that. I told them no drugs, no fooling around, no this, no. It's wrong. It's sin before God. I took them to church. I took. Okay, praise God for that. I mean, you did something. But where was the word in all this? Where was the word? I remember when our son was in Christian school, we had to help him to memorize, you know, the, the scripture verse of the week or whatever it was. And, you know, we thought we were doing great. Well, I mean, we were somewhat. I mean, but, I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine being at a time machine and going back into Bible days and talking about, yeah, we helped our son memorize a verse this week? They just laugh at you. It's like, um, Billy, come here. Quote Genesis for them. <laughs> and here comes, you know, eight year old Billy. In the beginning, God created them. <laughs> An hour and a half, two hours later, he like, Shazam! <laughs> I think I'll go back to my time. You see what I'm getting at? That's the way it was. I'm not trying to be cruel here, but guys, we have failed miserably as Christians. I'm talking in, in whole now. As, as the believers, when it comes to getting the Word in our kids, but in getting the Word in us. We failed. Because that foundation isn't there. Now, what we can do, and I, I shared this morning, how that, um, you know, well, Jesus, or, or not Jesus, but Paul wrote in Romans uh, 10.17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Well, that faith is supposed to be relative to an outpouring of the Spirit and revival as opposed to what so many prosperity teachers have told us about. You know, faith comes by hearing, so you can get your new car and your, your money and your house and all this kind of stuff. Well, I understand faith plays a role in, in everything. I get that. But what's the priority? Here's the priority. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting, eternal, never going to end, be with Him forever life. All right? That's the priority. That's the priority. And it's, it's all based upon the Word. So my faith is supposed to be about working with God to accomplish the message of John 3.16. To get that out there. Now, Jesus, or Paul, also wrote in 2 Timothy 3.16-17, let me read this to you, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture. So God is telling you right there, Genesis to Revelation. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Okay, why? That the man of God may be perfect, fully mature spiritually, and thoroughly furnished unto all good works. What is thoroughly furnished unto all good works? What What are the good works? The good works... Total submission unto God and accomplishing everything that He said. Remember what um, what Jesus said there to the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter two. He said, "Return to your first works. You know, return to the foundation." Well, what's the foundation? Ultimately, the foundation is the Word of God. If we didn't have the Word of God, <laughs> we wouldn't even know about being born again. We wouldn't know about the Holy Spirit. We wouldn't know about praying in tongues. I know somebody could come along and preach it to us. But you know what I mean when I say about the Word. If we didn't have it, what would we know? 
So all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for all these things. Okay, therefore. And I'm, I'm indicting myself in this. Okay, so I don't want you to think that I'm up here, you know, looking down upon you. No, man, this is me too. Here we are, all Scripture, it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness, and so on. So, if I'm not getting all Scripture in me, how in the world can I be thoroughly furnished? I can't. It's impossible. It doesn't, it's not a sovereign move of God. It doesn't just happen. I have to get the Word in me. Now, now somebody might say, well, yeah, but I pray in tongues a lot. Well, glory to God. Seriously. Praise God for that. But what we have to also understand is that the Holy Spirit works with the foundation of the Word that's been sown in us. It's not like the Holy Spirit it's not like the Holy Spirit is going to teach you the Bible. But He could. I mean, He's the one that did dictate it to the writers. He could. Let's say that you have somebody gets born again in a rainforest and there's no Bible in their language. But they know how to pray in tongues. They can pray in tongues and the Holy Spirit can give them the revelation of the message that's in Scripture. And somebody comes along and starts talking to them and says, wait a minute, how would you know all this? You don't have a Bible in your language. I don't know, man. I just pray eight hours a day in tongues. And it, I just know it somehow. So the Holy Spirit is capable. However, we have this book for a reason. <laughs> God worked it out so it would be in print. We have it for a reason. What an advantage we have. We don't have to show up at synagogue school and have somebody read it to us. We can read it to ourselves. It's here. So therefore, we have to really take some time and rethink all of this. If we want to go as far into God as we possibly can, to have this outpouring and to have this revival, the bottom line, we yeah, praying in tongues, worship, fasting, all of that is critical. But we've got to have this foundation of the Word. We have to. This is something that's so very important. And I shared this morning, what if you know, we kind of did a reboot of our own lives? What if we, um, we just immersed ourselves in the Word of God? When we're driving, the only thing that we listen to, we don't listen to you know, country, we don't listen to rock, we don't listen, we don't listen to Christian stations. All we do is listen to the Word. Am I saying don't ever listen to Christian music? Now, you know I'm not saying that. However, some Christian music, it's got some doctrinal stuff that's just not right. Yeah, we kind of extend a little grace in those areas. I understand. But the Word is the Word. The Word is the Word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, not by good, solid Christian music. So what if, what if we made that decision that at least for a, a lengthy period of time, the only thing we would do is listen to the Word. That's it. And at home, what if we made a decision? I'm not watching TV. I am not doing any social media until I've had a minimum one hour in the Word. Minimum. 
How do you think our lives would change? I'm telling you guys, we're, we're just barely scratching the surface of the volume of word that was sown into the Jews. If we do what I just said, we're just scratching the surface. You know, when the Jewish, um, when the kids would go to school and they would uh, be taught by the rabbis and all, the rabbis would read the word to them. And then in adults, and, and I, I think I'm going to touch on this next uh, Sunday, the adults, when they would go to synagogue, that continued. The rabbi of the synagogue would read the word to them. Okay, so then what we do is, when we're in our car and we're listening to the word, we're essentially replicating what happened when the Jewish people went to school or went to the synagogue. It's the same thing. It's just that there's not a human in the car with us reading. Same thing at home. You can play the word. When, you're, when you are working, if you're working in an environment where you're allowed to listen to other things, why not let the word play? Why not listen to the Word while you're doing your work? And then, you know, you've spent your hour or whatever in the Word, and then you get on social media. Why not have the Word playing in the background for you? Are you understanding this whole concept? It's so different. Absolutely different. And what I mentioned this morning is that, um, you know, if we do this... I said it's going to be like Armageddon with the flesh. The war of wars against the flesh. Because I'm telling you right now, the flesh is not going to go along with it. Because it's not been trained to do that. The Jewish people were trained from babyhood to do this. Well, we haven't been. If we have been trained like those Jewish children were, we also would find it much easier to get into the Word. Because that's just what you do. I mean, you just do it. We don't know that. And let's be honest, how many of us find it a real, I mean, a, just a difficult challenge to get in the Word and, and just be reading? How many times, you know, we're reading, you know, but our brain's off somewhere else? How many times are we reading and, man, all of a sudden our eyelids weigh a ton? You know, What's the cure for insomnia for a Christian? Read your Bible. <laughs> You'll be out like a light. And some of you laughing, it's like, oh, yeah, that's me. <laughs> this is where we have to fight. Fight the good fight of faith. Now in this um, passage here in Amos, where he talks about that the Lord is going to reveal His secret to His servants, the prophets. He's going to reveal His heart. I truly believe that what he revealed to me this past Tuesday morning that I shared with you this morning is not really supposed to be a secret of his heart, but quite frankly, it is a lost art in the body of Christ. In fact, I don't even know when it was lost because it's been absent as far as I know. Now here's what's interesting. We talk about a guy like Smith Wigglesworth. Like, boy, I sure, I'd love to be like Smith Wigglesworth. Man, I'm telling you what, signs, wonders, miracles, blah, blah, blah. Well, one of the things that Smith Wigglesworth did, he carried a little Bible in his pocket everywhere he went. Whenever he would sit down to a meal, didn't matter if he was alone or with a bunch of people, nobody ate until they read like one chapter. He'd just open and read. 
He, didn't, he did not allow the newspaper in his home. When people would come over to visit, one of the things that they would do, he'd open the Bible and he'd start reading. There would there'd be times where he would open the Bible and he would read a chapter or whatever to everybody and they'd say, okay, now let's, let's pray. And they would pray. It was uncomfortable for a lot of people because nobody was used to that, but he forced himself into that behavior and that lifestyle. And it became normal for him. You know, he carried such a powerful anointing on his life. And you can read about this. He got on a train one time to go someplace. He gets on the train, and he's just there on the train car. And some guy didn't even know him. He looks up at, at Smith, and he says, Sir, you convict me. What must I do to be saved? And Wigglesworth was just standing there. Other times, there were people, he'd, he'd get near them, they'd start crying because of the presence of God and conviction. And we think, man, i like to have that. Well, you know what? Maybe if we got as much Word in us as He had in Him, and filled with the Holy Spirit, maybe those kind of things might happen. Well, Tuesday morning, when I was thinking about, and then God began speaking to me about what I shared with you, and what I've reviewed here tonight, That afternoon, this past Tuesday afternoon, I went on the internet, I went to Pastor Bronk Flint's church, to their YouTube channel. And I started watching. And as I did, the Lord moved on him to begin to prophesy. And I'm listening to this, and I'm thinking, good heavens, this dovetails with what the Lord was ministering to me this morning. Now the emphasis wasn't heavy on the Word like what the Lord shared with me, but it's all about accomplishing what God wants us to accomplish for Him concerning the outpouring and revival. And so I'm watching this, and uh, I thought, man, this is amazing. So what I did was download that video, and I, I pulled out that prophecy. And here in just a moment, we're going to play that prophecy for you. And I want you to listen very, very closely to what is said. And then after we finish listening to this, I'm going to come back up and uh, just share a little bit more. So, go ahead and begin that video. Praise your name forever, Jesus. Blessed be the Lamb. We hear the Lord say there is coming a redefining to humanity of what the church is the true message of Christ this will not be seen to start with but by the multitudes but is growing in places in secret places across the land and in private places of worship and small gatherings people that are asking for more of me I'm coming in their lives 
and placing upon them a burden that they will not be able to escape. Do not ask for this. Do not ask for more of me, saith the Spirit of the Lord, if you are not serious. Because I will come to you and I will invade your life and I will even at times inconvenience your life for more of me, saith the Spirit of the Lord. For those who ask and those who seek and those who knock, they will be answered. They will find and it will be opened unto them. But the defining of how that I will come to start with for many of you will be a difference in your life that will redefine many places of your life. Some are in a quandary, believing that your heart is petitioning me for more of me, saith the Lord, and yet not fully persuaded if you're able to make the journey of commitment and inconvenience. But I say unto you, that for those of you that will invest yourself, I will multiply your time. What took you hours will only be moments. What occupied hours of brain time and searching will come through my authority and much will be given to you to dictate through the Spirit and to accomplish more, even to the extent that more time will be given to you, that you'll have leftover time, the temptation will be to do more in the natural with what time you have. But I say unto you, saith the Spirit of the Lord, that I'm going to sow in your life the benefits. And you'll reap the benefits of having more authority over your time. Use your time wisely and redeem the time, saith the Lord. Spend more time in presence and in intimacy and in fellowship with me, saith the Spirit of the Lord. For I am seeking to redefine what Christianity looks like. The world has seen a powerless, sin-filled church that is more of a country club and something to belong to than a viable, spirit-filled, righteous, walking church filled with Jesus. Many of your friends and many of your acquaintances do not even know that you go to a place like this that is seeking an outpouring to change the world. That is going to change. Do not ask for this unless you're ready to be inconvenienced. But you will at some point have to make a choice. Either you'll harden your heart and live in a place where you make up your mind to settle for second best or else you will choose to go all the way with me, saith the Spirit of the Lord.
Mahala edia sekeres idioto Yes, sir. Please don't make me say that, Lord. Some of you, and even many of you that are standing here today, will not be here in time to come. You'll choose another path. You'll choose a more in a more convenient path. But for those who will stay, the reward will be great. Do not settle in these final hours for anything less than perfect, saith the Spirit of the Lord. As I have said in another place, that a very subtle attack is coming. And I will say in this place, I will herald that and say a second to that, that there is a subtle attack coming to the body of Christ, to those who are called revivalists. Do not settle for second best. Do not go another way. Do not choose another purpose. Do not figure out another route. Stay in my presence. Stay in fastings. Stay in prayers. The earth has never seen in 2,000 years a group that will emerge like you will emerge. Mahale I am not saying to you that you will get smaller, but if you do get smaller, if this house gets smaller and even whittles down to even a smaller number, do not fear and do not relent. Increase, 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 says the Spirit of the Lord. Do not say within your heart, I have heard these things before. And oh, I hear them again saying, being said again today. Do not harden your heart, saith the Spirit of grace. For these things are being said to you because I love you and because I have found a place within your hearts as a group of people that I can say these things. And if a man bears fruit, did I not say that I will come and purge that man, that woman, that they would bear more fruit? saith the Spirit of grace. You are my hope in the earth. I have no second plan for those of you who are watching and those that are in here. This is all one prophecy to everyone. Mahala S-A-T-D-A. And as he said to this group, so he says to you, many of you that are watching, some of you, if you do not garrison your hearts, you will not be here a year from now. Mahale Ifrando Ediasate, yes, sir. But I will keep you, says the Spirit of Grace. I will head you in. Some things are coming that will sparkle, and some things with glitz, and some things that will resemble almost the closeness of power that we are seeking God for. It will have a great resemblance to this calling. And yet I say unto you, do not take that door. Do not take that door. Don't go that path. The doctrine is not as sure. The path is not as filled with righteousness and godly integrity. Stay on this path.
saith the Spirit of grace. This is the path of the apostles. This is the path laid down by the foundation of your apostle, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yes, sir. Do not choose the easy route. I will vitalize, I will bring vitality to your spirit. Don't be lazy in your spirit. Don't take the easy route. Don't expect someone to do it for you. He who has ears to hear, hear what the Spirit has to say. I'm calling all of you as sons and daughters, as priests and priestess to stand before me. Whatever your part is on a daily basis, it's vital to this. You add to the river. Your stream adds to the river, says the Spirit of grace. It may not be the hours that your pastor is praying. It may not be the hours that some of your leaders are praying. But if you are obedient, truly obedient to what I've asked you to do, then you're doing your part. But lay down excuses. Lay down excuses of why you cannot pray. Why you cannot be in church more. Lay down excuses. Jesus, really. For many of you have said, I've received this clearance from the Lord. I've heard from God. Go back and recheck the voice. Now that you are more mature and deader, none are completely dead yet to the things of the flesh, not even the ones speaking presently. But the dead, the more dead you are to the flesh, the clearer my voice comes. You have two voices speaking to you, the voice of the flesh which will often describe or camouflage itself as the voice of the Spirit. But the deeper you go in me, the more you will be able to distinguish whether it is you pacifying your flesh and giving an excuse of why you cannot pray more, or whether it is truly my Spirit giving you a good conscience concerning the activities of your life. Follow me in the days ahead. You have no idea how much I need you. You call upon me and call me Lord and Master, and so I am, saith the Spirit of grace, to provide for you. But I turn and say to you, I have no hope in the earth except you on this plane. This is your part. This is your assignment in the earth to receive this outpouring. Much of my church will never progress past programs. And I will bless them a hundredfold where they're at, but they will never progress. 
It will do you no good to look at certain churches and say, Lord, pour out your spirit because some of them, though the pastor is saved and the people are saved, they'll never go past programs. That's all they'll ever see. And I will take a great multitude in the harvest from them. But understand this, if you have heard with your ears this journey, then you've heard, come up higher, saith the Spirit of grace. And for you, I'm laying my hand upon you to come up into a place where your eyes see. They see the truth and your ears hear the truth and you will never be satisfied with programs. Saith the Spirit of grace. You are my prize in the earth. In all correction that I ever give you, I give you. Desiring for you to know my affirmation and my love and my hope for you. There is no plan B. There is no secondary choice. Many have said that if I fail, then the Lord will raise up someone behind me. This is foolishness, saith the Spirit of the Lord. For when I take a man or a congregation and groom them for 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 years and bring them to a place of fruition where they can bring forth, if they stop their journey or if they turn or if a man called or a woman called stops and turns aside, I have no other plan. For I have groomed them for decades for a purpose. I cannot raise up overnight someone that has no knowledge, someone who has no strength in prayer, someone who has not grown up in maturity. It's you or else, saith the Spirit of grace. If you fail in this assignment, then it will be many, 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 many more decades for this region. But the time is now, and the time is short. Stay in your place, and stay in your assignment, saith the Spirit of grace. Hallelujah, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. Some people might say, well, that prophecy was delivered in that church down there in Florida. That's true. But the message of that prophecy applies here. It applies here as much as it does down there. And you know, um, one of the things that the Lord shared in that was, you know, people wanting this outpouring, wanting more of Him. And He said, do not ask for this. Do not ask for more of Me if you are not serious, because I will come to you and I will invade your life and I will even at times inconvenience your life for more of me. Well, that in essence is what I was sharing this morning and even tonight about you will have to inconvenience yourself in order to get more of the Word in. And one of the things that you can do if you work at it, you can develop the habit of praying softly in tongues while you're reading the Bible. You can do that. Listen, too many people, too many Christians want to say, well, I just can't, and then they fill in the blank. Well, you know what? 
The Bible says you can do all things through Christ which strengthens you. So if it's something that's going to benefit you on a spiritual level and you ask God to help you, guess what? He will help you do it. You know, he said, Some are in a quandary, believing that your heart is petitioning me for more of me, says the Lord, and yet not fully persuaded if you are able to make the journey of commitment and inconvenience. But I say unto you that for those of you that will invest yourself, I will multiply your time. Again, you cannot say, I don't have the time. You do have the time. It's just a matter of how your time is currently arranged. And I know that there are some Christians get extremely defensive over this subject of, well, I just can't because no time. Well, God is saying inconvenienced, but yet blessed with better time management. So, you know, it really comes down again to us and what we want. He said, do not ask for this unless you're ready to be inconvenienced. And here's the thing. If you, he says, don't ask if you're not ready to be inconvenienced. But the inconvenience is, is actually a type of mortification of the flesh, which is something that we need. He said, but you will at some point have to make a choice. Either you'll harden your heart and live in a place where you will make up your mind to settle for second best, or else you will choose to go all the way with me. Well, again, it's our choice. Look over in um, Hosea. Um, Hosea chapter 4. Hosea chapter 4. We're going to read something there in just a moment. At the end of that prophecy, the Lord said, Many have said that, if I fail, then the Lord will raise up someone behind me. And I've heard that before. And he said, this is foolishness, says the Spirit of the Lord, for when I take a man or a congregation and groom them for 20, 30, 40, 50 years and bring them to a place of fruition where they can bring forth, if they stop their journey or if they turn, or if a man called or a woman called stops and turns aside, I have no other plan. For I have groomed them for decades for a purpose. I cannot raise up overnight someone that has no knowledge, someone who has no strength in prayer, someone who has not grown up in maturity. I cannot raise up overnight someone that has no knowledge. What knowledge do you think he's talking about? He's talking about the Word. Listen to this here in Hosea chapter 4. Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel, for the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. Now he's speaking to the Jews. By swearing, and lying, and killing, and stealing, and committing adultery, they break out, and blood toucheth blood. Therefore shall the land mourn, and every one that dwelleth therein shall languish with the beast of the field, and with the fowls of heaven. Yea, the fishes of the sea also shall be taken away. As I was reading this, the Lord impressed upon me that what, that what this represents here in verse 3 about you know the languishing beast of the field, fowls of the heaven, the fishes of the sea being taken away. He said what this represents is that your economy is going to be hammered. Now what do we see happening in this country right now? And people can, people can blame Washington, D.C. all they want. But God is saying this is happening because you don't have enough knowledge of who I am. 
And he continues in verse 4, Yet let no man strive, nor reprove another. For thy people as they, as, um, <clears throat> are as they that strive with the priest. In other words, don't go blaming everybody else for these problems. It comes back on you. And see, the body of Christ has been trained to blame the politicians for all the problems. When God right here is saying, hey, when you figure out who I am, when you have this knowledge, things are going to change. But he says, because you don't have it, then guess what? And he continues here in verse 5, Therefore shalt thou fall in the day, and the prophet also shall fall with thee in the night, and I will destroy thy mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, and thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Destroyed. That means our lives are going to be impacted in what they might in the Old Testament have referred to as various curses. Now how many of us can honestly say, you know what, we get to the place of being accustomed to, to living a life standard that is beneath what is described in Scripture. And we defend it. I'm not talking about driving Cadillacs everywhere. I'm talking about just having the kind of life that God is describing here. There's too much anguish and there's too much dissatisfaction. There's too much, call it negative emotion, within the body of Christ. And it's not supposed to be there. And the reason it's there is in part because what he says here, you don't like, or you, you don't, you don't like knowledge. We say we do, but how are you going to get it if you don't get into the Word that contains it? See what I'm, what I'm saying here? Look over in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. You know, he says right here, he cannot raise up overnight someone that has no knowledge. Well, what about somebody who has been born again, filled with the Holy Spirit for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, but has never truly pressed in for the kind of knowledge that we need to not only receive, but also operate in and steward an outpouring for a revival. If we don't have that kind of knowledge, how can he do it? He knows we'll just mess things up. And one of the things that he shared with me, you know, we've talked about all these revivals in the past. They flared up, and man, God moved. A lot of people were saved. And in some cases, there were signs and wonders and miracles. But they all fizzled out. And he was impressing upon me, one of the reasons they all fizzled out was because there was no true foundation of the Word to support the move that was taking place. And so it fell apart. Which is kind of like what Jesus said, you know, if, if you adhere to my Word, then you're building your life on the foundation that's going to support everything that comes along. But if you don't build it on my Word, then when the stuff comes, you know what? What you've built is going to collapse. And that is exactly what has happened to revival after revival after revival over the centuries. It, it can't be like that anymore. There has to be a difference. And we are sitting in a place of difference. Because there aren't that many churches I know. I, when I hear other Christians talking that go, that go to these other churches, and uh, some of them are even spirit-filled, when I listen to what they say, I realize it's not happening there. It's just like... Um, 
what the Lord said about the programs. Some churches, man, there's, it's just going to be programs. Either programs given to them or programs they create. A programmatic structure within their church. And they're not going to go beyond that. Well, here in um, Ephesians chapter uh, 2, in verse 19, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. What is that foundation? It's the word. What is this cornerstone? Jesus is the cornerstone, but the word was given. This foundation, we're built upon it. In, uh, look over in 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy, just go to chapter 3, where he says, verse, look what he said, uh, I read this this morning, read some of it tonight, but verse 15, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, that are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. From a child you've known the Holy Scriptures. How did you know them from a child? Because they were drilled into you from infancy. And you know them. And then he adds on to this. It says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word be instant in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. This is part of the warning that was given in that prophecy about the, uh, the deception, the attack that's coming. It's going to be based on the whole concept of what is and what is not truth. This is one of the reasons why some cults are so successful. Just try and have a debate with a Jehovah's Witness. You know, door to door, you're not going to win. The, listen to me, the only way that you're going to win is if one of them is struggling with a physical something, and you say, in Jesus' name, be healed, and instantly that healing takes place, now you've got their attention. But when it comes to the Word, they're going to rattle it off, chapter and verse, over and over and over again, and then we're going to stand there, it's like, well, I'm sorry, but I'll do what now? Huh? They're not going to... They've got you! (laughs) You know, the Catholics, one of the things that they say is, give us your child until the child is... I think they said seven or eight, something like that. And your child will be a Catholic for life. That's because they know you bring your child from infancy into that Catholic church and they are going to drill that doctrine into them and guarantee, from their perspective, guarantee that that child will never leave Catholicism. Now, he says... All Scripture is given by inspiration of God so that you can be fully mature spiritually. Well, the thing is, you can't be fully mature spiritually if you're not in it. It doesn't matter what your age. Can you read? Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, I can read. Well, how old are you? Well, I'm seven years old. You can read. Yeah, get in it. Parents, do it. Well, it's too late. You know, my kid... 
Who's in charge? Who's the mom? Who's the dad? Good glory to God. What is wrong with you? You're the parent. (laughs) Parents today, Christian parents today, could learn a lot from Old Testament parenting. I'll leave it at that. We have to get into the Word because the Word is the foundation. Yeah, you've got to pray in tongues. Yeah, you've got to worship. Yeah, you've got to fast. I mean, all these things. But we have to inconvenience the flesh. This is not an option. Now, the Lord has warned us here in this church, things will change as time goes on. And we've seen some things change. You know, we've had uh, a change in the way the Sunday night services have gone. Well, I say, whatever you want, Lord, just help me understand it. Let's go with it. Let's do it. So, now, you, you, do you remember here about, I don't know, it's been a few months ago, during service, I was sharing with you about having services where all we do is read the Word. Remember that? That was before I did all this research about how the Jewish children were taught. Now I'm telling you, I now realize that what I said in that service was prophetic. Even though at the time I didn't feel the goosey bumps all up and down my spine. It was the Lord saying, this is what you're going to have to do. How many churches do this? Think about it. How many churches have you heard where they just deliver the Word? Well, that's boring. We need preaching. No, you need the Word. (laughs) Because that's going to help you understand if the preaching's any good. (laughs) You need the Word. And, you know, again, I'm not trying to be mean because I'm just as... Man, I'm in this too. But we flat out, none of us... None of us have been raised on the Word the way we should have. And why is that? It's because our parents didn't know and didn't understand. And it's because their parents didn't know and understand. So it's not like we're the generation that just messed all this up. No, it's been going on for a long, long time. We can't speak for any other church, but what we can do is make the effort here to bring about change. We can do something here. I want to see this outpouring. I want to see revival, and I want to see it last. So yeah, guys, we're going to have to inconvenience the flesh, and our lives are going to have to be rearranged to line up with what God wants, and whatever that means, we're just going to have to accept it. You know, what is it some people say, suck it up, buttercup? Well, (laughs) we're going to have to suck it up, buttercup. And get on with it. Amen.